Hello and welcome once again to Crazy Comics and Stories. It's me, your charming and delightful old Uncle Rap Bastard. And at the other end of the series of tubes and wires that we call the internets is Joe, Crazy Rider. How you doing today, Joe? Oh my God, it's snowing outside. And yesterday it was 65 degrees. Which was an all-time record for Minnesota. The last one was 64 degrees way back in like 1868 or something. So, yep. Oh, don't worry, though. It's going to be 61 again on Saturday. So, (sighs) got to love Minnesota. I can't complain too much because we're getting extreme weather up here, but there was just a hellacious amount of winter storm advisories and warnings out west all these different counties in the mountains and the plains and then down south of us probably around your area Corey, illinois a little bit farther well i'm not in illinois now well you were but you know what i'm talking about severe storm warnings so of it all i think i will just take uh i'll take the cold i mean it's gonna be 20 tomorrow so I'll just, uh, I'll take the cold and ignore the, the severe weather. Matter of fact, I was just going to look here because we got like a weather advisory alert because the band of severe weather is a little stronger than they thought. Or I should say the snow. We have a special weather statement, but Ooh. it'll be over within 20 minutes. So by the time you listen to this here podcast, it'll, it'll the snow will be gone. The cold weather will be here. And then it's going to continue down across the plains and turn into severe storms. So we got that going for us. Untreated roads will be slick. Gusty winds in combination with falling snow will reduce visibility to less than a mile for short durations. The hazardous continues will impact the evening commute, which is why I am so I do not have an evening commute. Yep. Actually, I'm going to go take a look, see what the weather, see what the, uh, the old commute does. So so if you're home, you can just sit back and enjoy this here podcast rather than, and if you're driving, uh, keep your eyes on the road, but you know, you can still enjoy the podcast. Yeah. You can listen to us while you drive and, uh, we, we, well, it's not a, not a previews episode. So if no, you're, it's not going to last that long. Yeah. I was going to say, you may have to listen to one of the solo podcasts I'm dropping lately. Oh, uh, but yeah, Joe, a little bit, a little bit of red on the board. Everything's yellow, which usually means slower traffic. Somebody peed on things. And then where you would expect, uh, you know, like major interchanges, they're all red because you know we forgot how to drive in snow since we haven't had much this year. But we're not here to talk about weather because by the time the podcast drops, it'll be gone. I was going to say. Now you had really good weather on Saturday. Yes. Which means that before work, you were able to to do some some major geeking. Shh, shh. I, got, I called in. Took a two hour sick time to go. So. Oh. But that's okay. No one, no one I know that at work listens to this here podcast. So, how dare they? <sighs> Anyways, so this was the Minnesota Comic Exchange. Show they don't do it on a regular schedule. I think their next one is June 10th. So if you're planning around that time, uh, again, Chris hopefully is listening. He'll call and tell us otherwise. It's set up in Valley Creek Mall, 
in Woodbury. It's free. It was, I got there, I tried to get there about 8.30. I got there closer to 9. Very packed. It's packed for a couple of reasons. First of all, they got a Keys restaurant, which is a major place to go for breakfast. So people are waiting. But it's been a while since there's been a show. I think people just, it's all pent up. And this time I was able to go instead of like, oh, time's up, got to go. I was able to actually look at a lot of stuff. A lot of people blowing out comics. There was a guy who had a box for 25 cents. I picked up a ton of Simpson comics for a buck. And as I go through my collection, obviously the ones that are duplicates will go onto the Ebays. But I picked up probably a long box worth of stuff. Some of the more noteworthy items. See, I picked up a run of 13 going on 18 and Ponytail. These are the 13 going on 18 was a series from Dell, kind of in the teen phase, not the Archie type stuff, but more cartoonish, kind of like Millie the model. Same thing with Ponytail. I'll have to look to see who the creators are, but that was actually Carlton. Just teen, girly, humor, semi-romance, that type of thing. I, I just find them fun to read. I did pick up a signed book, and since I cannot read the uh, actual X-23 number one, signed by Lucio Parillo, and it's CGC at a 9.8. So I know a lot of people, a lot of sell-offs on CGC. There was a lot of stuff going there, people blowing stuff out cheap. And I like it just because I, I don't necessarily buy CGC books. I just like the the verification they have on it for the signature. So one more down. Another gentleman that I, I previously bought, it's called Atomic, I'm sorry, Army Surplus. Cutesy Bunny was in it. And I picked up, I think, a number one from him a while back that was signed by the creator. And he had the other ones. I think he was missing like number four, but I picked up the other three. I picked up a bunch of dollar books anywhere. Like I got a Maverick number one from Dell. Scott Rolf was there. He did a book, local creator did a book called The Spray, kind of a horror type book. I got a copy of it. I'll be reading it and I'll probably review it in an upcoming episode. Giant Dells, uh, Little Lulu Goes to Hawaii, Little Lulu Annual. Little Archie's, Jughead Joke Book, the giant size ones. A couple different variant covers. Witchblade, Red Sonia. Got it for like a buck. That went on the Ebays. It's like worth 30 bucks. Yay! Rock and Rule, if you remember the uh, Marvel Super Special, I think number 35. Yes, I remember getting that. And then when is the movie coming out? And it never came out. I think it came out on like VHS years and years later. It might have. Let me, uh, as long as I've got my eBay going, let me just put in rock and roll. See if it comes up. Rock and roll DVD. So it did come out. They did re-release in DVD. Not expensive. Anywhere between uh, around 25, 30 bucks, which I guess for a DVD. A lot of these. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I guess they are region. I guess they are our region. I see a few that are not. Iggy Pop, Lou Reed, 
So if you can find it for 25 bucks, there are people asking 90 to 129 bucks for it. So uh, I don't know. Is it worth picking up? I'll have to look at it. Wasn't that good. Really? You, you actually did see it? Yeah. Okay. Do you have a copy of it? No, I rented it. Oh, okay. I said, I'd like to borrow Oh, I want to see if this is any good. And I watched it, and it was, I see why it wasn't released. <laughs> so, but the Mar- same thing, just like the Sgt. Pepper Lonely Clark Hearts Club Band, where the movie came out, yet locally in the United States, the Marvel Super Special never came out. This was kind of a reverse. Super Special came out. The other thing interesting about it was that it was comic book size, so it was very easy to store. Picked up a couple other things like Beauty and the Beast, the old CBS TV show, The Portrait of Love. I believe uh, Wendy Peeney wrote and drew it. Yep. I did pick up an omnibus from Issues Needed. They had the Justice League, the new 52 omnibus, one I didn't want to pick up the first time. But I'm picking up volume one from my old partner, Pat. So I figured, ah, what the heck? Uh, I don't know if it's because I'm reading Justice League International, but I certainly have an urge to like read Justice League. I've got Grant Morrison all in paperbacks. I don't have the Brad was it Meltzer run, but I know that's available on Omnibus. So I can pick that up. I picked up some other mishmash, a couple photo covers, Married with Children, The Honeymooners, awful lot of Simpson comics, which I'm looking forward to reading. And like I said, if I have extras, I'll sell it off. The other thing I picked up that will probably end up on eBay because I guess I have one. I picked up a Batman number 608, which was signed by Jim Lee. That was the beginning of Hush. And I might have been thinking nostalgia because I just read The Absolute. And so, but and I thought I had this at one time, and I guess I do. So one of them's going on the eBay's if you're interested, or if you want to contact me at a time. The other thing I got was the MCU wool cap, which I will probably be needing since I'm got to go out tomorrow to a doctor appointment, and it'll still be cold and snowing. So they have a bunch of things. They give me some stickers. They have T-shirts. They have buttons. They're set up right in the middle. Uh, the guys there are always selling stuff off. And, of course, they're wandering the show constantly. It was a lot of fun, not only running into old friends. I ran into Kelly, and he's, of course, got his comic show coming up, a crazy little comic book show, too, Saturday, April 13th, 10 a.m., 5 p.m. at the Mermaid Entertainment Events Center. So it was kind of, I saw, and actually, Pat was there. What? He, he wasn't there for the con he was there to get <laughs> dinner breakfast for him and his mom and i guess he had it ordered from keys and and he went in and was there for a while but he got to walk around our old pal ben Piscuit was there talking about his graphic novel i didn't even get a chance to talk to him some of my old customers were there so it was it was a fun show and the fact that it's free admission the other ones will, will not be free admission that I mentioned. I think Kelly shows five bucks to get in. I, I SpringCon. I won't even be here for SpringCon. So, yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of great deals to be had. It's definitely a show if it comes around and you and you want to go. If I had had more time to dig, I'd, Lord knows what I would have come up with. Because a lot of, lot of half-price stuff, a lot of discount stuff. 
and uh, I was in a, I was definitely in a digging mood. So been putting some of the stuff on eBay, some of the stuff I'm keeping that I'll read. Just looking to see what some of the stuff I'm keeping is. Let's see. Well, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that stuff in future podcasts as I read it. You know how the drill goes. So that was a lot of fun. One of the other things we did the previous week, and this will be talked about in a future fill-in show, but I did buy out Mike Edmondson's comic collection. I've been helping Lisa, his wife, sell off his stuff over time, and we did a pretty good deal. Pat sold some of his original art. I sold a lot of his rare and unique comic books. But it gets to a point where the work to keep making the same amount of money gets harder. And for Lisa, looking at the comic collection was just kind of a rip off the old band-aid that her husband's no longer here. So she got to the point where she was just, I just want to get rid of it. She made me an offer. I should say I made her an offer. She said, fine. So I gathered up the troops, Butch and Corey. We ran over, picked it up. We dragged it all back, and it's sitting in the storage bin now. So I'll hopefully be getting to that over time. And then, of course, for Falcon. But one place we did stop, and this was kind of a uh, – it was kind of an unexpected stop because I had figured we would – a second my computer's frozen up again it's cold out there yeah but it's warm down here i got myself a little little uh heater and everything so anyways we ran over lisa had some errands to run so she left it we loaded the truck fairly quick uh, a lot of it is because butch like carries what five six boxes at a time <laughs> but and i didn't count you how many boxes did you figure i picked I up quit I quit counting at 50. Okay. And that doesn't count stuff that I'd already picked up from Lisa previous. So, yeah, but I'm glad we had the truck we did because everything was laid straight. We were able to, we didn't have to stack things too high and we're sitting around and we're like, you know what? Lisa's not back for a couple hours. Let's, it's only an hour away. Let's trek back to town. We're we'll unload everything, which worked out fine because it was 40 degrees. We were able to get things in the storage bin. Then we trekked back. I was able to return the rental truck and then we were going back and I took a quick detour to mint in the box toys. I've mentioned being at this place before. They have a number of different places. They got their, their online Facebook. There is, let's see if they've got a Instagram mint in box toys, eBay.com user tester toys. And if I'm trying to find their address, so hang on a second while I Google it. Thank God for Google it. Mint in box, Stillwater, Minnesota. It is at 14565 West Frontage Road in Stillwater. And it's actually in, I'm trying to find the name of the uh, shopping mall it's in, Valley Ridge. You go right inside the main door. It's off to the left. It's a store. He talked about, he's been selling stuff online and going to shows for a while. And they've 
the owner, actually an old customer of mine, he stockpiled toys for a couple of years before he opened the shop. And they don't carry new stuff. They do restock things. Like I was just looking here, they had a massive Mexico collection come in. Mexico being the M-E-Z-C-O, the box figures that you find a lot of times at Target in their collection section. I don't know if Walmart has it or not. Usually they're about 30, 25, 30 bucks. So a little out of my price range, but they picked it up. I've been there before. I believe I've talked about it on the podcast. Corey, what was your impression of, of heading into Mint in the Box? Uh, the first thing that I noticed when I came in is this is a toy first store. They have the expensive stuff behind the counter. They have more regular stuff. They have current stuff. They are very heavy on wrestling and superhero toys. So this is a toy collector's store, not a kid toy store, if that makes any sense. Uh, Although they did have they did have tables of loose figures. So if if you don't mind buying your kid a $30 action figure. Which, again, probably with their price to target. Or you just want them to go in and have some fun. Because there were families that would come in and out. They did have back issues. They said that they weren't sorted yet. And they had the one problem that I have with some stores. Bring it up and we'll tell you how much it is. Yeah. I don't like that. I want it to be marked so I can make my decision before bringing. Because when you bring it up. And then you kind of feel, you know, if it's overpriced, you kind of feel a little bad that you came up and and did that and all. I dug through the $2 and $1 boxes and just got some reading stuff. Yeah. There were a few there. There were a few where they had all but the last issue or the first issue of a series or mini series. And I didn't, I don't dig enough anymore to go, okay. I'll get this and then look for it later. So I just bought stuff that was complete. But if I were a toy guy, this would be my store to go to because you were able to score things cheaper than you said you'd seen them online and stuff you've been looking for. Yeah, I picked up three main toys. Uh, I've got a King Shark figure, which is one of those figures you have to get pieces of from the other figures. Generally, a set is about six figures at $20 a pop. That gives you an idea what the base figure was. He had it at a pretty decent price. I picked up the Sting AEW figure, which I'd been wanting. And then I asked him about a Captain Carrot figure because I was missing. And he goes, oh, yeah, we got one there. And I, I walked right by it. And I'm so glad I mentioned it because I picked it up right away. The other thing I picked up was a goofy little matchbox size toy that had snoopy on it and i'm not sure where i put it it must still be upstairs i picked up a number of comics as well same thing like Corey said i dug through the dollar two dollar bin because he's got a lot of books i'd love to dig through but i just don't want to run into that same thing matter of fact i ran into that briefly because i had a book i picked up king of strong style and i can you say that what's his name shinsuke Shinsuke, shinsuke nakamura Okay, I almost got it right. It was autographed. And 
they didn't have a price. They had a price, you know, 27 bucks. And I went up and I, I asked how it was. And he, he had the call and he found out, oh, he wants 40 for it. So obviously he paid a premium to get it signed. And I, I'm a sucker for signed stuff, as you probably could tell by what I talked about at the beginning of the show. And I know very little about this wrestler. And I remember we talked about this because it came out on Viz Media, and I must have pointed it out on one of the preview shows. I didn't order it. I thought, well, what the heck? Sign copy, pick it up, join the other sign copy stuff I've got from pro wrestlers. So, yeah, this is a store that if if I get a chance, I will probably stop in every month and just see what they've got going. I'm trying to think if there was, I mean, they've got some stuff. If I had the money, I mean, they had the Hasbro Sentinel, they had the Hasbro Galactus, they had some Major League Optimus Prime where, I don't know if it was the one that transforms automatically, but it was like 500 bucks for the cab, 700 bucks for the the uh, trailer, a lot of big, big things. And I got to admit, things do move. I was a little worried that the Sting figure might be sold out when I got there. The other thing is they're buying stuff. So if you're looking to blow a collection, another store in town to bring them to. I mean, we've got Hot Comics. You got, if you want to go to Menominee, we got KB collectibles. And now you got a third guy you can bring them in. And so if you got something you want to sell or you just want to get rid of a collection, which a lot of people are want to do, this is another place you could swing by. And like I said, one of these days I'll stop and dig through the the comics. They did have a bunch on the back wall that were signed, not only up high price uh, key books, but also down low. So I've gone through those a couple times. But problem is I've got so many boxes of unfigured out books. <laughs> I, I could be buying duplicates. I wouldn't even know it. There's only so much you can put on eBay, I'm telling you. Oh, did I say that? Shh. Sorry, eBay. I'll raise my fees. And then anyways, we went back into town. We caught up with Lisa. I had a wonderful dinner. Came home back. So it was a fun day. It was a fun day just to take care of some business, take care of things. I mean, I took it legitly off work so I could uh, have, a, have, a, have a fun geeking day. I mean, the next one we got planned, barring some weird snow day that Minnesota probably might have, will probably be... Free comic yeah. book day. Free comic book day. Yep, that's it. The next one out. So you guys got that to look forward to. One Which thing is- I want to say about the Minnesota Comic Exchange conventions, out of all the conventions here in the Twin Cities area, this is the one where I see the most pictures by far on Facebook and Twitter. There are... I didn't even... If I didn't know the convention was going on, the minute I logged into Facebook Saturday afternoon, I would have known because picture after picture after picture after picture of people there, people showing their stuff, people showing their kids' faces getting painted, on and on and on. This was a very social media upfront little dealer show. And I would highly recommend to people in mid-sized to bigger cities if you don't have shows like this where it's just you know they set up tables in a mall or you know where it's just dealers setting up to sell off stuff 
go ahead and do it yourself. It's not as hard as it seems. The hardest part is selling the tables. But after you do it the first time, if you get enough people showing up, one of the things that Chris talks about is that all he has to do is announce we're having another one and he's inundated with dealers wanting to buy tables. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, they're not expensive. One of the problems with the bigger conventions is, you know, I forget what the Twin Cities Con is charging for tables, but it's, you know, five, six hundred bucks. This is the old days where it's, you know what, the mall is letting us set up. They just want the people coming in. We're going to sell, you know, it's going to cost us this much to rent the tables. So we're going to charge this much plus whatever. 50 bucks to rent a table. You want two tables. It's a hundred bucks, et cetera, et cetera. Just setting up, especially in a mall, because malls want the traffic really bad. And parking at a mall is super easy. You've got a food court. You got all that stuff. I, I cannot see why a city like Des Moines, Peoria, Nashville, Memphis, any city that's you know, big, big enough. And if you're a comic person, you know, if you're a collector who's, uh, I need to start weeding out my collection. These are the cons to do it at. Bring your stuff to a dealer. Joe and I have talked about, you're going to get 10 to 20 bucks a long box if you're lucky. Set up at these shows, sell your stuff, one to a dollar each. You'll make a lot more money than if you go to, you know, go try and sell to a dealer. It's a lot less work than setting up on eBay. These are just great ideas for not just the dealers, but for regular fans to get cheap stuff to read, to get key books that they're looking for, or as a collector to thin out your collection. You know what? I'm never going to read this run of Hardwire again. Why not just sell it out? Now, yeah. I took some inspiration now, I gotta, from Joe. I got to tell you the other thing. If you're interested, they're on Facebook. It's a private group, so you have to join Minnesota Comic Exchange. They also let you sell books there. Anything you post, if you want to sell it, you got to price it. And I've sold a few things there as well, as well as made some deals. You know, I brought some stuff to the show and sold it. So, again, you can jump in. And if you want to talk to Chris and Dean and some of the other guys, pick their brains. But the other thing, I mean, it's not an exclusive club. Chris took the idea out of my playbook and hit every store in town and listed them with flyers and posters. So, and again, I'm looking to find their podcast because we've been telling them, hey, come on and let us, let us, we'll let our friends know about your podcast, but they're too shy. What it is, they don't do a podcast per se. They have a live Facebook event. Oh, that's what it is. Well, so still, they I turn on their cameras and talk comics. I think it's Wednesday nights. And that's why, I'm, that tough that's to... why I'm not able to go. Oh, yeah. I, You're busy. I, I, but would it, is it that night. tough to give us a 30-second MP3 and we'll throw it on for free? Come on, boys. Step up. And they like us, too, because we blurb their podcast. Anyways, I just wanted to mention that out. So, Joe, a little while back, you talked about how you had the world of giant comics. Yes. 
It's an Archie All-Star Special, 160 pages in full color, where they basically rebound five Archie comics. I discovered have you, have you this looked was at a the series. One? Yeah, it's more than just one. They did four of them. All four have the same five books. So if you get World of Giant Comics, it's the same five books, no matter which World of Giant Comics you get. So I found a shop and ordered World of Giant Comics, Giant Spectacular Comics, Giant Grab Bag Comics, and Triple Giant Comics. That is all four. Now, they did uh, do a second printing of Giant Grab Bag Comics. Because Giant Grab Bag Comics was $0.98. Cents. The others were all $1.25. They did do a second... I, I don't even want to call it a printing. A second binding of Giant Grab Bag Comics. And that was $1.25. So, if you want the variant... Ooh! And they were actually really cheap. I was able to talk to the dealer and get them for 5 bucks each. Nice! Because they've been sitting there forever. Yeah, and so, they, they're running anywhere from 15 to 25 bucks on eBay, so that's a yeah. pretty good deal. And I I know a little about when they would do stuff like this. The EC annuals, EC Comics had annuals back in the 50s. And they talk in the price guide about how the contents are going to be different because what the EC annuals was, were was rebound comics, and it wasn't okay, we're going to rebind these three. No, it's just take three books, slam them together, put this cover on them. And there have been other times when that was done. And I wonder why this was both tried and then didn't last very long. This was not done by Archie. Well, they were Archie books. They were put together by Modern Promotions. And here's the thing. They have an ad on the back of each of these. You could order the others for $1.25. Postage and handling was included. So I don't even know if these were ever sold on newsstands or if they were just sold through the mail. But I have all four of them now, which is, you know, dangerous that Joe mentioned stuff like that. <laughs> I'm looking for the one, and I, I, I might have sold it already, but there was Innovation, I think, did that, where they took some of their comics and they glued it together and they sold it to overseas guys, like our military and that. The only difference is their comics, you know, whereas the, the Archie ones had the exact same issues in every single one, this was just a bunch of hodgepodge slapped together so you could pick up five different issues and get five different collections in it and i know i talked about it but i cannot i can't remember where it was or what it was okay i'll keep looking through my stuff i've only got like 673 things on the ebay so it should be fairly easy to find <laughs> i know that in the early days of the collected trade paperbacks back in the 80s some of the indie publishers wouldn't do 
a trade paperback printing as much as they would take the okay this was a six issue series they would just bind those six issues together and give it a cardboard cover and call it a trade paperback yeah they did that with the man of steel retailer yeah. special thing i've got one sitting on my back shelf here it's in the ebay store if you really want and, it and didn't they do that with the initial death of superman book too because it was only 495 that might have been just a cheap reprint. I don't think it was bound issues. Okay. I think it was an actual book, but they did it very, very inexpensively. They had I, it on really cheap paper. I remember that. Because yeah. yeah. it did not look as good as the regular comic, which to me made it seem like, oh, they they rushed this some bitch out. Yeah, they were hurry. able to bang that sucker out because I remember selling tons of those. Well, Joe is out running about doing things i have just been here at home getting back into the swing of work and ordering some comics online but i've been reading a lot and one of the things that i have read that i've really sort of been nostalgic about but i i'm not wearing my nostalgia glasses joe remember what i ordered the clone saga omnibuses and the Ben <laughs> Riley omnibuses. Something even I didn't do. Wow, those things are a mess. <laughs> now, you had your shop, and I remember they built to this in a really, Marvel actually built to this really well. They did a thing in Comic Buyer's Guide, kind of a press release saying, you, if you're a Spider-Man fan, you need to pick up this issue because it's hinting at a very big story coming. And I don't know how far in advance it was, but how, when the Clone Saga started, how were retailers told about that? I don't recall. I just remember because it was like a new series and everything was hot and going. And I believe it was probably leaked by Wizard because the big thing was, you know, everybody, oh, you got to go back and get the original appearance of the first clone, you know. And I think we knew it was coming. So, I mean, we didn't know it was going to last as long as it did. But the, the whole idea was they were going to retire Peter Parker and have Ben Riley be Spider-Man forever because Ben Riley was the real one Peter Parker was the clone and they would go off him and Mary Jane into the sunset I think they were married at the time weren't they yeah and that was the remember, end of that because Mary Jane got pregnant yeah I remember that because then her kid disappeared and well that was no one ever end. talked but about it again real early on you know they'd been married and I've talked about in the past Almost as soon as they got married, Jim Shooter was let go, and everybody at Marvel was like, how do we get the fuck out of this? <laughs> and when you look at it, the only people who really embraced the marriage early on was David Michelinie, who had a lot of fun with them being a married couple. Of course, he also had Todd McFarlane draw Mary Jane. So, Yeah. McFarlane would do everything he could to make her as sexy as possible. 
I think, didn't they make her a supermodel at the time? Here's the thing. Everybody who who criticized the marriage said Peter Parker shouldn't be married to a supermodel. But if you read the comics, especially Peter the Spectacular Spider-Man, which was written by Gary Conway, she was a catalog model. She wasn't a runway model. Uh, supermodels are primarily runway models. She was a catalog model, and uh, as an actress, she got a job in a soap opera. It could still and, be a supermodel. I remember when Cheryl Teagues was hot because she was like on a Sears catalog. Yeah, so but it, she very might have been the type very, of she, that was her on her way up. That might have been the type to, what they were going for, not the runway supermodel. But once she got to the uh, Sports Illustrated, she didn't do catalogs anymore because she a supermodel is somebody who charges a lot of money. Actually, she did quite a few Sears catalogs. But then once she got Sports Illustrated, she did even more Sears catalogs. Sears paid her silly money to be on except, that catalog. Except there's one thing about it. It wasn't she was a model. No, she had a clothing line that was yeah, being exactly. Sold. It's kind of like Jacqueline Smith. She had a clothing line that was being sold through Kmart. So she wasn't a She Kmart wasn't on the Sears catalog though. She was on the Kmart. Not that it matter. Kmart ended up buying Sears and going yeah. bankrupt anyways. But but supermodel is more like Tyra Banks. Um, you know, the, the huge name, uh, huge name models. Gary Conway had her as a struggling actress, struggling model. And in even in Amazing Spider-Man, they got evicted. <laughs> they didn't have money to pay rent. They got evicted. So it was afterward where they went, well, she's obviously a supermodel, which means obviously nobody read any of the stories before. <laughs> but Gary Conway liked the idea of them being married because he liked writing about a struggling married couple. He thought that most, you know, most comic readers were no longer kids. Comics weren't selling on the newsstands. So he figured, you know what? Young adults are the ones reading comics now. And a lot of young adults, you know, guys in their 20s to 20s to 30s, they're just starting out in the world. They don't have a lot of money. This is, I can start lumping more problems on Peter Parker this way. But he and Dick, David Michelini were the only ones who really embraced the, the marriage. Everybody else at Marvel wanted to get rid of it. And it's, well, we can't have them get a divorce. They toyed with the idea of doing superhero stuff, but it was Tom Lyle, I believe, who floated the idea of, well, why not bring back the clone? And we find out that's the real Spider-Man. The Peter Parker we've seen for the past few years, we can send him and Mary Jane away. And... This Peter Parker is unmarried. He's you know got all the you know et cetera et cetera, and they had just killed off Aunt May to sort of clear the way for it because you couldn't have Aunt May around if you're going to get rid of Peter Parker but have a new Peter Parker. 
to my mind, it never would have worked because you also, okay, we're going to have him work at a coffee shop. No, when people think of Spider-Man back then, it's he works at the Daily Bugle. There's J. Jonah Jameson and all that supporting cast. And no matter what they've done with Peter Parker, they've kind of kept J. Jonah Jameson around. And they kind of keep the Daily Bugle around. But I remember as a fan thinking, okay, this is a nice little thing, but eventually it'll go back to status quo. And when it didn't go back to the status quo, you heard there were um, actual comic creators who were grumbling about it. (laughs) Dan Jurgens was loudly grumbling that he came to Marvel because he wanted to do Peter Parker. He didn't want to do Ben Riley. So they, and that was also when the comic business collapsed. So it's, oh crap, we need to fix things. The saddest part of it was Dan Jurgens left before Peter Parker came back. Jurgens went over to Thor and stayed there forever. But Joe, you were a, de- a comic retailer at the time. What was your impression of the sales of the Spider-Man clone? I remember you being really against it. You thought it was a dumb idea. And I was more generous because I was like, you know, if they do it right and don't, you know, play it. And they did. The the one thing I remember most vividly about this was when the Ben Riley real Parker ran into Venom at the first for the first time. And again, the original Peter Parker Spider-Man had a detente going with Venom, but Ben was aghast at how could Peter ever ally himself with this creature? And this was back when Venom was still a villain. I don't think he had quite made the the switch to anti-hero, and now he's sort of a hero, anyways. I don't know what he is after the whole rule of null war sales wise i don't think i mean other than the fact i think every did everything start with a number one boy it's been a while Uh, i know that issue no it did not they did not start over with a new number one i think the guys who read spider-man read spider-man there may have been a little bump but i don't recall it doesn't run across my brain like you know, a first issue of Image or the Death of Superman or Death of Batman or, you know, a Gen 13 or the Return of Todd McFarlane or whatever. It didn't really make that big of a bump. I think a number of people like yourself were like, ah, this isn't the Spider-Man I want. He kind of, eh. Again, it was the same thing I felt after Brand New Day. You know, this isn't the Spider-Man I like. Just wait. It'll change. I don't... Oh, jeez. It's in the garage. I have all the sales track. I've never shredded them. So one of these days, I could probably pick them up. But I don't recall. I mean, there was probably a bump right away because people were interested. But I don't think it lasted. Now, the weird thing is, when you look at the overall sales, because I followed the sales back then, it's impossible to follow sales now, which kind of makes kind of makes me a little happy that I'm not obsessing about watching things go up and down in sales wise. But the, the sales jumped so much. That's why the marketing department stepped in and went, you're not ending this story. 
Oh. And then when everything was falling, Spider-Man was falling slower. There was a web web series where one of the assistant editors and a writer got together and did the life of Riley. You could go to your fire, breathe the Google machine, type in life of Riley, spell it like Ben Riley. It's a, like a 36 part thing where they go through, they recap the issue and then they talk to the people who worked on it for what was going on behind the scenes. And it's really clear that the initial team that put it together was like, yep, we're going to do this. It'll be, a, I think they said it either a three or a four month story. And at the end of it, Peter Parker and Mary Jane get sent away. Ben Riley is Spider-Man and we go forward from there. But marketing kept making them stretch it out that eventually the initial team that worked on it all left. New people came in and no one involved including the editor, had been there at the beginning. So they had no idea how to end it. Because when they did the Ben Riley thing, it did not work. Sales, didn't, sales did not do well. Um, the marketing team was like, I, we, can't, we can't sell this. <laughs> the... the, the the comic was different from the cartoons and the comic strip and all the licensing. So it was, we're, do we need to change all the licensing? What do we do? Uh, it was, they were still sorting out the movie rights, which had been sold to three different companies. That was still being sorted out, but all of the scripts were about Peter Parker and not Ben Riley. But having it all in Four big books. And I'm not, you know, I'm not sitting down to read. I was just kind of flipping through and, oh, I remember the story and going through that. I will sit down and read the whole thing once the final volume comes out. But, man, it's so clear how disjointed it all was. I Plot lines are dropped. Characters vanish and then come back later. Judas Traveler is supposed to be this big deal who ends up nothing. Um, it's all just this mess. And yet, there are people who say it's the worst Spider-Man story ever. But because it's over 20 years old, you now have people who, that was the story they started reading Spider-Man with and they're nostalgic for it. And that's that weird thing, Joe. People are nostalgic for the 90s books that we hated now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't see anybody except Michael Clark yelling for death, mate. <laughs> yeah, but Liefeld's able to bring back, what is it? Uh, the blood, one of his characters. Blood, with blood, the blood something. Yeah. And I watched a video on YouTube because I was watching comic videos and there was a person who gave a history of the, the special covers, you know, with the chromium covers and this and that. And then when he got to uh, some of the, you know, just off the wall bullshit covers, he talked about how much he loved them. Hmm. So there's something for everybody, man. There's something for everybody. 
Oh, well, let's, let's, just, let's just think of some of the covers we saw. Okay, yeah, gold. That was the big one. If you could score a gold logo or cover, because even Deathmate had the gold logo things, which still sell for silly money. Blood Sport had the rub off blood cover splatter that if you heat it up would disappear or would appear. All I know is if you see current copies, it's faded, so you'd, it doesn't work anymore. There was a Superman that had color forms on it with Lobo, so you could like make your own Lobo Superman fight thing on the cover. Gas covers yeah. where you open them up. I, I know there was one, it was a Ghost Rider one, it was supposed to be real gruesome, and it ended up just being a die cast cover because they couldn't figure out how to do it. Hologram foil. Oh, where they were just good on that. Where they were just designs over and over and over again on foil. The foil covers now are so much better. Oh, yeah. Because they actually use the color of the actual cover rather than, okay, it's just silver. There were the lenticular covers that, was it DC that got in a lot of DC heat? Did, DC did it for a villain's month. And they couldn't make enough of them and people were upset and then Marvel came and did them and said, here's how you do it. I actually found someone, and again, I'll give a Joe prize if anybody wants to dig out the episode. Back when I was in Vegas and one of the shops had an independent book that they did lenticular covers and they were gorgeous 3D covers. Oh my God, why nobody ever did this? Probably because it made the book like a $10, $12 book. And they had a whole run of them, but I only bought one and I still have it to this day because it's just, you look at it and you move it and it's just, it's just gorgeous 3D and it's lenticular. So things move, but it's not like, well, somewhere I've got, oh, here it is. The Jessica Jones. Uh, I can't tell what it is because the you have to get the lenticular just right. Oh, there it is Jessica Jones number 13 that flops into Marvel team up annual number four with the purple man, but it's kind of hodgepodge because you can't quite get a clear image on it and they're impossible to sell and scan. Even the, the DC ones were a little bit better than that. I'm trying to think of what other good, Oh, glow in the dark covers were fun. I always give a kudos to Granite city for putting a bunch of them up in the restroom. And then they say, turn the light off, turn around. And they all glow. And they were so many. I mean, it would like light the whole place up. I'm trying to think of what other goofy. I want Kong versus Godzilla versus Justice League just had one where when you open it and pull the card, it, it roars. <laughs> I have mine somewhere. I, I can't find it. I haven't opened mine yet. So that was kind of neat. I mean, it's obviously it's like those trading cards. Or, I'm sorry, greeting cards. You open them up and they play a song or whatever, you know, and if they don't do it until you open it. In this case, there's probably a little tab and they'll fade with time. Somewhere behind me, I've got a, the King Kong black and white original movie from 38 or 39. They had you press the yes. press it and it roars and the battery's long since dead. I'm sure I could go in there and rip it out of the cardboard and replace it, but so, nudie covers. Ah, yes. That, that thing that got me kicked off eBay for a while. Avatar, well, I'm looking at you. Speaking <laughs> of nudie, 
my cherry omnibus showed up. Still waiting for mine. Showed up on Saturday. Now, they did send out a special Kickstarter notice on Friday. Oh, on how to open it? No, that 69% of the books have been sent out. Oh, okay, so I've, I've, I've still got hope. I did check. I wanted to make sure my survey 69%. was filled out. 69%. Nice. it was all filled out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there will also be, they're going to do a trade payback trade paperback of the four issues of Cherry's Jubilee. For those who don't know, Cherry's Jubilee was other comic creators doing Cherry stories, including one Neil Gaiman. I hate so, Is it the same group or is it somebody else? Yeah, same group. Okay, I'll have to keep my eyes check, open for that. Check your emails because they sent an email, I think, earlier today about it. Oh, okay. I'll do that while you talk. But this is, first off, it's only like 20 issues. It's not the ones that they have, because they recently restarted it, and they're only selling it via their website. It doesn't have that issue, but it does have all of the ones up to uh, when they were, when they ended their distribution with Ripoff Press, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And it does come with 3D glasses. For the 3D issue. Cool. And I it's I, I gotta be honest, I feel it's overpriced. Cause it's 140 bucks and it's mostly black and white with the color covers. And I'm used to with a Marvel or a DC or even an image or dark horse omnibus, when you have 150 bucks, this is a monster that you could you know, beat a rhinoceros to death with. This just seems like an overlarge hardcover. But still, you're not going to get it anywhere. And um, it showed up Saturday. Now, I'll tell you about my Saturday, Joe. I, I scheduled myself in a stupid way. I worked at the group home at one house from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's why I couldn't go to the Minnesota Comic Exchange thing. Then I went home and I covered wrestling. Then I drove to a different group home to do an overnight shift. So I get home at 6.30 on Saturday and there's the box on my porch. I bring it in. I don't know what it is because it's just, you know, from... I don't even remember the name of the shipper, but I open it up and says, oh, cool, it's the Cherry Omnibus. And I tell one of my friends, and I said, and I'm not going to be able to read it because you know, I'm going to be covering wrestling, and then I go out and go into work. And they said, well, why don't you bring it into work? I said, yeah, that's an HR nightmare come to life. <laughs> what you reading there, Corey? Reading? I'm not reading. It's Cherry. Hmm. You know what else you could have showing up at your house, Joe? What's that? Stuff from these guys, our sponsors. Our newest sponsor is NordVPN. Let's be honest. If you're out on the internet, you need a VPN to protect you. There's all sorts of things going on on the internet where people can track you. You could accidentally download a keylogger. All sorts of things. NordVPN 
gives the best security possible. It has a password manager, which generates complex passwords, syncs across all your devices, stores your notes and credit card information. It also gives you 10 gigabytes of private cloud storage, um, secure files that backs up your data automatically. But the main thing it gives you is peace of mind. It gives you peace of mind when you're... Um, out on the internet, when you're streaming, when you're playing games, when you're listening to podcasts like this one. It gives you safety anywhere at any time. It protects your online activity. You get full access to all content. And if you use the link, go.nordvpn.net sh3ku, it'll take you to where you could get a great deal for a one-month plan, a two-year plan, a one-year plan. They are our newest sponsor. We're happy to have them. And if you would like to sponsor something here at any of the podcasts on the Solitaire Rose Network, you can. Just email me, solitairerosenetwork at gmail.com. Thanks. Hooray! And, Joe, it's time for your turn. Oh, for a retro review what are you reading from the past all right before before i do want to cover that innovation book i was talking about is called desert storm sends hussein to hell came out in 1991 and they're dirt cheap all over the place so don't go expensive and as far as i recall they're just different innovation comics slammed together for the guys to read overseas that said, I chose Corey. Have you? Did you ever watch the Colossal Show? No, I don't think anybody did because the Colossal Show was a planned television show, cartoon by Total Television Productions, sometime 1968-1969. It was intended for NBC, who bought the series after the pilot pitch. However, they decided to back out of it, which is the reason it was never known. The only thing that came from this planned show was a comic book produced by Gold Key in 1969. Allegedly, the animation for the pilot, which according to former Total Television production worker Mark Arnold, might still exist, but he doesn't know where it is. It was likely done by Terry Toons, someone else. According to Arnold, he said that the series was a typical TTV comedy stuff taking place in a Roman setting. Each weekly episode, a guest character would appear on the show doing a celebrity impression, with a Jack Penny impression being a character in the pilot episode. The main character, whose name is never known, was an imitation of Phil Silvers. Additional failed TTV pilots were Parrot Playhouse, Boots and Saddles, which was a takeoff on Gunsmokes, Noah's Lark, which was a billionaire that built a spaceship with people on board that set out to different planets. It was claimed to be a different kind of animation, totally from anything they'd ever done. Problem was, it were changing times. That was primarily why it was a tough sell for new shows. Sponsors seldom bought shows at that point. It was networks themselves that bought them, and TTV sponsor General Mills was no longer with them. Networks preferred buying stuff from big factory animation studios made by in-house unlike the stuff that TTV outsourced another reason was that they hadn't really been getting themselves out developing contracts and unaware it would eventually affect them sales wise so the only 
record that this show even existed is the colossal show number one from Gold Key. Even peeking at the Inca inside it, it's published by West Publishing Company. Copyright 1969, total television productions. But there's no record as to who wrote it, who drew it, who did anything other than the fact that it exists. So you open it, you look at it, and it's like the cover has a bunch of goofy pums on it. There's the guy hitchhiking Pompeii or bust with the Roman V for the U. Even my wife gave it a thumbs down saying it was bad. Because in the background, there's a boxing tonight, Cassius versus Dempius. The license plate is Roma with a bunch of Roman numerals for where you'd have it. And bumper sticker has a V for the bumper sticker. The ad on the inside front cover for $100 costs you nothing to try. You can sell greeting cards for money. I think I've talked about the time I tried to do that. And my mom was so aghast she turned around and mailed it all back. So you didn't get the free pony. I didn't get to do anything. So I got to admit, I tried reading this. It's terrible. I can almost hear it in the style of like the the voice actors from the Beatle cartoon show, uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. I'm trying to think of other people from that era. Dudley Do-Right. That type of animation, I think, is what they're going for. But the puns... And the, the situation was just terrible. As far as I could tell, the main character was the world's greatest talent agent. And then he had a pretty dumbwit, dimwit assistant. And they were real worried because every time the empress came around, he would panic. And he virtually jumped through the ceiling. And he said, well, just don't stand there like an empress. Show the idiot in. I mean, uh, good morning, empress. Oh, Mr. Colossal. So they did give him a name. Don't tell me you're learning to fly as he came down. She sees he's wearing a piece of plaster on his face and goes, oh, these must be new sunglasses. May I wear them? They certainly do a lot for my appearance. They certainly do. Well, that's not why I'm here. As you know, see, Emperor's birthday is only Roman numerals. Days from today. Gulp. I mean, yes, it is. I want something special for a gift. Tell me, what do you suggest? And, of course, the rest of the show or the comic, he's trying to figure out what to do. And he says, the the dimwit comes in and says, well, here's something that he could do. He could have hifs. Hifs? What's hifs? H-S-I-F. Eventually they realize, oh, they're looking at it in a mirror. It's fish backwards. Ha ha, just a little joke. I meant to get the emperor a fish. So Festus, go down to the empire and get the emperor a plate of fish. Yeah, so will you please fix that leak and listen to me? The leak being, you know, psst. Do I need to go on much more? Okay, so the guy comes in, chef comes in, trips a fishnet, a fishnet form a necklace around the empress. And he goes, oh, a hisnef necklace, especially for you. How sweet. Now, don't expect, oh, God. This was a hot mess. I mean, the puns fall flat. The art's consistent, whomever did it, so you know the characters once you figure them out. They decide they're going, rather than, since the emperor doesn't want to go to the Nile, he has to bring the Nile to the Colosseum. So they all hop in a boat, and they get their oarsmen, and they, uh, 
it's it's bad. And unfortunately, there's like three or four episodes, or I said ep- stories this way. One that got a mild chuckles out of me is that apparently when they take off in their whatever they call it, it's it's tiger powered. So rather than having horses, you see tigers feet on the bottom. And as they get to where they're going, the tigers run out and they run out of tigers. So they come up to the tiger station and they throw a new tiger under the hood and the tigers take off again. And, and of course, it's it's the old, you know, the the talent agent, whatever, he runs around, and works his ass off. And so he's finally relaxing. The emperor comes in and says, ah. So this is how you spend your time, Colossus, sitting around in an easy chair all day long. Goof off once more and you're fired. Oh, pun, pun, end of story. There are a couple keys of knowledge here, like they have a thing talking about porpoise. There's a mini comic about a dinosaur who runs around biting the other dinosaur's tails for fun. And he sees another tail. Unfortunately, it's his own tail because he's so long he didn't realize he went around a rock. There is an ad for the Ravel model of the month which is the 51 Henry J. Drag Coupe. And of course you can send 35 cents in for a new color catalog for all the Ravel kits. For 75 cents, you can get top hit records, single LPs and tape cartridges. And we're talking like Young Rascal, Turtles, Jefferson Airplane, The Associates, Simon and Garfunkel, Peter, Paul and Mary, The Righteous Brothers, the Young America Record Club, Young America, eventually being a town, I think in Minnesota, that was became a clearinghouse for all these different ads and things you, you could do. I can, the type of humor here probably would work in a animated show because I guess a lot of it would be visual gags, like when they decide the emperor needs something for his party. And of course, if he doesn't do it, the bad things for the uh, talent agent. Well, they accidentally discover bubble gum. And when the emperor walks in, he's amazed and delighted and absolutely loving the fact that everybody has these fascinating gums. And the emperor says, this is, this is great. In honor of this marvelous idea, you may wear this laurel wreath. No, don't splat. Everybody gets covered with, bubble gum and everybody thinks it's funny and he goes colossal you're a genius i say colossal what's the trouble a no trouble emperor no trouble it's a bubble even the crickets didn't like that one the the final one was a little amusing because what happens is they're doing a show in the coliseum and it ends up being that because the emperor and empress won't show up everybody wants their money back so they have a bag of money ends up falling and Everybody realizes the guards, hey, if they give the money back, we won't get any gold. And so they start attacking them and they, the one guy gets it and another guy tackles them and it, it bounces away. It's a free bag down it. Hey, I hear there's a Roman numeral yard penalty for pitchforking and you can't do this. Oh, yes, we can. Okay. So they line up on either side. Yeah. Can you get it? You kind of get what they're going for. There's nothing I had in mind, Emperor. Nothing like a good game of footbag on a Sunday afternoon, even though I did just invent the game myself. And the only pun that was really there was, hey, you're right. Which team are you picking? Are you kidding? The Green Bay Gladiators are the best. (sighs) 
The final ads are the famous prizes or cash from Olympics selling cards. And this is where you could send 10 boxes and get a light up mirror or send 10 and get a Cox dune buggy. Cox being a big, and I guess they were motorized vehicles. They had planes, they had helicopters, which I always wanted to get. You just buy the fuel, put it in, and they would drive around. For six boxes, you could get the Lux Monopoly. For eight boxes, a Poodle Radio. Inside the back cover was an amazing $1 art offer. Four irresistible wide-eyed animals in full color for your home. This was out of Colossal Studio. And on the back was another one of those ads where it's easy to be a sales leader, get fabulous prizes or cash for selling personalized Christmas cards. This is no wonder I beat up one, cut up one of my comics to send in. I could have gotten a high-riser bike for only 24 boxes or a gas-powered Ryan PT-20 for six boxes, instant load flash camera for six boxes. Just, you know, no money involved, just sales leader department 9 SG7 Springfield, Massachusetts. So, there you go. Uh, if you want, you could probably find Colossal Show Comics. I've got one on my eBay store. Hint, hint. Not, I, I don't know. If you like Roman numeral puns, this is probably where you want to go. But I wasn't that impressed with it. And obviously nobody else was because they never made the show. And nobody seems to know who done the comic. I just find it's interesting that the only record that this thing even existed other than someone who worked at the, the company, is the actual comic book. So there you go, comic, Corey, comic, colossal, whatever. That's your retro review for the day. And now it's time for my favorite part of the show. Oh, we all line up and uh, go make s- s- write our name in the snow. No, oh, no, no. Oh. Not where I make chicken tenders and cover oh. them with uh, crunched crunched up uh, Captain Crunch. It's freaking a geeky Joe. What are you freaking on? See, this is why we know Corey's a rat bastard because I basically, I had a tooth extracted on Monday. One of the things you don't eat are crunchy foods because it will irritate what's left of where your tooth was. It went okay. I mean, I didn't go under. I just had Novocaine. The doctor was, the nurses were really great. 45 minutes it came out. I haven't had a lot of pain. One of the things you want to watch out for is what they call a dry socket. They give you tons of advice. Don't eat crunchy food. Don't eat spicy food. Don't drink carbonated beverages. Don't use straws. Don't smoke anything sucking. Don't spit. Don't brush your teeth for a day. If you do have to rinse something out, use tap water and warm tap water with salt, whatever. I did all that shit. I'm getting a dry socket. A dry socket's where the blood socket that's supposed to form dissipates. And then it needs to be there because then the gum forms over it and that's what allows the gum to heal. Without it, a dry socket empties out. It becomes very painful. It takes longer to heal. I'm kind of pissed because I done did it and I'm still getting a fucking dry socket. And I don't know if it's going to hurt, but I got to call the dentist tomorrow and see what they're going to do about it. You know, I've been eating the, the soft foods, but, you know, they say, oh, yeah, scrambled eggs is soft. Yeah, well, what happens when a piece wedges in that little blood clot? Okay, rinse it out. Oh, look, the blood clot shrinks. 
And then another piece of food gets stuck in there. Oh, it shrinks. It's just, you would think they'd have a freaking technology to like cover it so it'd be protected, but they don't. They're just like, oh, when the blood clot, get, when the blood clot disappears and the, it becomes very painful and it's just severe pain, go see your dentist. Yeah, whatever. So not done. I got to go see my dentist. I was hoping I'd do everything right. I tell you, some days I just should have just stayed in bed. Ugh. Anyways, Corey, when you get a chance, I want you to look at your yellow copy of that uh, giant Archie thing. I sent you a picture because I sold one and one guy is claiming that, oh, the last page was ripped out. I want to return it. He hasn't returned it. It's He's got like three days to return it. Otherwise, he can't. But I'm just curious if your last page matches up to his last page, then there's not a page missing. What happened was is because these things were glued together, the glue gave out. And it looks like, yeah, maybe a page is missing, but also I, there's glue on the last page and in the inside cover. So The okay. last page is never finished high school. Now you can finish it home without going back to class. Okay, so there is a page missing from his. So whether he returns it or not, a different subject. But, uh, yeah, the what we had was the last page was a little Archie comic, you know, the, the yeah. end. So, but there was no ad thing in it, just, just that. So, cool beans. We did, uh, the other thing I'm freaking on, and it will be counteracted by the omnibus I read. I was reading the JLA omnibus. And again, these are over a thousand pages. But what I noticed is volume one I bought and I don't recall if it was open. I think it was open because I got it at a deal. Again, issues needed comics down in Apple Valley, but it's been sitting on the shelf. And what happens is with some of the omnibuses that are really, really heavy, there's nothing to support the pages. There's so many of them, they start leaning forward and warping and they pull away from the binding. And once it's done that, you can't return it. So what you need to do is when you buy a thousand page plus omnibus, instead of storing them upright so it looks really cool, you need to lay them on their side so the binding doesn't warp. Volume two, which is equally as massive, did not have that problem, but it was still in its original shrink wrap. So I looked at some of the other ones. The Secret Wars one, which I read, it's got the same thing. It's starting to warp a little bit. I think Infinity, one of the Infinity ones that had mass, or Infinity Crusade? Crisis. Crisis. Crusade. That, that, there was no Infinity Crisis. No, that was, what was the one in uh, Infinite Crisis then? Oh. The DC yeah. one. It yeah, was that's... huge. And it's warping. So, again, take that for what it's made. Some people say they don't. I've got three that say they do. So pause this here podcast, check your omnibuses, and when you come back, Corey will be all ready for his freaking. Corey, what you freaking on? Well, it's been a while. So first off, Marvel omnibus ordering. Marvel's ordering has been weird the last few months where you know, we get we get the little the, the the Marvel previews and then we go to DCB service and obviously they just take their order form that they get from 
their different publishers. And there are things in the DCB service order form that aren't in the Marvel previews, but will be in it next month, which means Marvel is doing some advanced solicitation. I will give you the, the one that fucked me up. Two of them. Spectacular Spider-Man number two. Number one was ordered in January. No solicitation. And I tend not to want to buy things when I don't know what they are. Same thing with Weapon X. You had to order number one without even knowing what the hell it was about. And after reading Timeless, I'm like, oh, I really want it. So, again, two two books I didn't order. I'll just pick them up at the source when they come out. But just annoying. And the Ultimate Line's doing the same thing. And we all know what's going on with those. So, again, continue, Corey. So that means, and I've talked in the past about how I wanted the the Ultimate. I forget the name of it, but it was the, the Jonathan Hickman... Uh, Brian hit story that jumps that started the new ultimate universe. I wanted to get the treasury size edition. Well, it got caught in that thing where even DCB services. Yeah, we can't find where to order it. So when it comes out in March, I imagine sales will not be that great because it got caught in that thing. Marvel, you just need to, okay. Everything that you're ordering for March is in the, March Marvel previews. Everything you need for April is in the April Marvel previews and so on and so on and so on. Stop getting cute. I mean, the only thing that was worse was that or we've, we've plussed it twice in our previews episodes. The Astro City Omnibus or Opus and both times it was canceled before the cutoff date. Because, again, if, if you want it, Corey, you could probably give a call to Tim at Granite City, not the Astro City, but the other one, and he could always reserve it for you and figure it out because I run up there constantly. I could pick it up. But it's ridiculous that you solicit it and then it's not available. Why are you soliciting it twice? Once? Okay, Marvel, yeah, they do intend to publish it. But Image, what the F is going on with this? <sighs> I haven't been this upset since the whole Phantom Stranger Omnibus, and I got that finally. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to butt in on your geek, uh, your freaking, but uh, well, here's one. Real... Here's one you can't butt in on. Okay. Uh, at one of the group homes I work at, two of the clients tend to interact just by arguing with each other. If one is getting attention, the other one is upset about that, and they need to get attention. So every shift they argue. Well, in all the houses now, they have Amazon Echoes for the clients to listen to music and staff to get, you know, news and everything. But they also have um, little things in the room. So if a client who is not, you know, uses a wheelchair gets out of bed at night, it will say, Bonnie is moving in her bedroom. So the overnight staff could go see, you know, did Bonnie fall out of her bed? Did she wake up in the middle of the night and needs help? Stuff like that. So the two clients who like to argue were arguing over who gets to pick the music on the Echo. The bad thing about that is, well, there are a number of bad things about that. One, they both like the same music. They just want to be the one to pick it. 
Two, both of them, because they're developmentally disabled, also have speech impediments. And Echo has a problem understanding them. So three, you get two clients arguing with the Echo because it's not playing the music they want. And then they're arguing over whose turn it is to play the music. So one person will say, Echo, play this. The other person will say, Echo, play this. And then the Echo will go, I don't understand. And then they yell at the Echo for not understanding them. And so the last time I worked, they were arguing. And I've laid down this limit before. I said, you know, because what I like to do is if they're all watching TV, I'm going to watch TV with them. These clients like to stay in the kitchen, the dining room area, and do crafts and stuff. So I either bring in my laptop or my um, adult coloring stuff. And when they started, I said, all right, you guys know my rule. If you're arguing and try to bring me into it, I'm leaving the room because I hate arguments. They make me feel sad. So I don't listen to them. Because the way they argue through staff is, uh, hey, hey, Joe, can I tell you something? This person did this. Joe, can I tell you something? This other person did this. So I leave the room. They argue with each other. Then they argue with Echo. And then one of them came in and was like, Corey, can I tell you something? I said, no, you can't. That's why I came into this room. You guys have been arguing for an hour and now I have a headache. And I imagine Echo has a headache too, and that's why it's not playing any music for you. So I got an apology, the Echo got an apology, and I got to go home. One other thing I am freaking on, I've got a whole bunch of interviews coming up, Joe. Oh. And, and I've talked to you before to try and tone down on when you do the, um, or you start a sentence with, you know, yeah, um, and, and the yeah. one I hate until you start talking in here, which I actually hear professionals on the air doing. Yeah. The lip smack. I was mixing a podcast, an hour-long interview. After I got done cutting all the ums and hers out of it, it was 51 minutes. Nine minutes of, um, yeah, or... Uh, er, you know, uh, NPR has software that automatically removes that stuff. NPR will not sell that software. They say it's proprietary. You know how <laughs> I know? Because I actually called and said, how much is that? <laughs> because I'm so sick of doing this. But hey, you guys will be getting the podcast. Hopefully, by the time this drops, she's better. Trina Robbins went to the hospital for a stroke. Hmm. Trina Robbins, who's started in underground comics, is probably the best historian of women's comics, has done work for Marvel, DC, Eclipse, everybody. We've had her at the convention a number of times here. I actually first met her at my first Chicago convention back in 1984. A wonderful woman who loves to just sit and tell stories about the people who worked in comics back in the 40s and 50s. Um, she had a stroke. She is currently in the hospital. We wish her nothing but the best and hope she recovers and goes home soon. And my last freaking 
is a way for you to make money. Joe, get out your notepad. Oh, all right. There are two stories, two comics that will not be in the Marvel DC cross, crossover omnibus. Oh, Magneto and the Magnetic Men and JLX. They will and not be that? because they were written by Gerard Jones. Oh, now, for those who don't know, Gerard Jones was a guy who broke into comics in the 80s. He did the wonderful Trouble with Girls series in Amazing Comics. He No, Amazing Heroes. He had a long-running parody column where he portrayed kind of the prototypical nerdy comic, comic book guy fan. And then he... Ended up working at DC on Green Lantern, Justice League, and a number of other books. He also wrote some very good history books on comics. And then back I, early 2000s, no, it had to be late 2000s because it was YouTube. He uploaded child pornography to YouTube. And they found out that, you know, the FBI raided his house, found he had all kinds of child porn. He also says that at the time he was addicted to um, amphetamines and other pills, and that's what fueled his addiction. He has served his jail time. He is now out. He is writing a book on addiction. You can decide how you feel about his work. But DC and Marvel have said that his stuff will not be in the omnibus. So I imagine those two books, because they're not being collected, will be worth more. You could decide if you want them or not. But it's also left a huge gap for other creators who any any of the artists he worked on a comic with, their stuff's not going to get reprinted, so they're not going to get those reprint fees, which is is a shame for those artists. And let's turn it around, Joe. What are you geeking on? We got email. We did. Travis sent us another email, and he sent it to Corey and I. He goes, you mentioned an EC volume in an episode, specifically talking about Johnny Craig. I bought a bunch of crime suspense stories and was immediately struck by how captivating Johnny Craig's sections were. Want to draw your attention to, if you didn't already know, some of Johnny Craig's collections still in print from Fantagraphics. And he gave us a link. Just go to Fantagraphics.com, put in Johnny Craig. Corey responded, yep. He took over editing of Crime Suspense Story and Vault of Horror in 54. He was a genius while at EC. It's a shame that his work as Marvel was so bland. And Travis shared with us a uh, comic he picked up which I believe is, he picked it up at a comic shop in Superior, so it had to be collecting, I can't see what it is. It's a number 38 of EC, whatever it was. So beat the heck, but, you know, pretty nice find. So we always like the emails, folks. So if you ever get a chance, give us a comment, especially, we don't care. Whatever you want to talk about, we'll make a podcast out of it. So go ahead and... Send us your emails, your comments. You can get all of us on the various media, social medias. It's all good. 
And if you want to see that Johnny Craig stuff at Marvel, he worked on Iron Man, um, early issues of Iron Man after it left Tales of Suspense. And it is really clear that he just saw it as a job. (laughs) On a personal note, I, I talked about my dad broke his pelvis a while back. He's home. He's... I don't know how he feels about it. I haven't actually talked to him. I probably give him a call after this podcast because he knows I was going to get my tooth extracted. And while it's pain wise for me, it's been pretty good. I am a little worried about this whole dry socket thing. Just rewind and listen to the freaking again, but I am happy. He's home. I have been keeping an eye on my eBay. So if you're so interested in making a deal on something, things have been selling things like that. Matter of fact, someone, I'm sorry, someone just sent me an offer. So I'm going to, uh, Say yes. Voila. Like that something is sold. See how easy it is, folks? eBay, K-R-A-Y-Z. I've actually put 20 new books on. I mean, I've been actually, what's weird is I'm able to sit okay. I had planned to just sit and watch bad TV, but the pain level in my jaw isn't that bad. So I do what I like doing. I do an eBay and I've got about 20 or so books up in the last couple of days. I'll probably put a few more up. I haven't posted any of them. So hopefully by the time you listen to this, you'll get a chance to go and check it out. I talked about reading omnibuses. I read the two JLI omnibuses. I believe it covers all of Griffin's story. I don't know. Okay, so the stuff afterwards isn't him. So I've got everything in the blah era. And yes, it was a humorous era. Very serious in some of the stories. I was very surprised. I mean, that was uh, Destro comes back to work or back to work, back to earth and starts hunting down what's left of justice league Detroit. He goes after gypsy murders his mother and daughter, just or his mother, her mother and dad. I'm, I'm, I'm stunned by this. Cause I totally forgot about this, but just snap, snap. And gypsy takes off in a terror. She, Sends out a call, of course, doesn't get anywhere because at the time, nobody's at home at the embassy. And finally, Destro is after been leaving a, a wake of destruction and death equal to anything Doomsday ever did. He finally just tells Gypsy, if you don't appear, remember her power was to disappear. You don't appear, I'm just going to kill these people. And she says, fine. She appears and she looks at him and says, just do it, do it, kill me. And all of a sudden you hear the off panel. No one's going to die today. You flip the page and there's John Hunter, Martian Manhunter. No one's going to die today, Destro, except maybe you. Oh, I love that shit in comic books. Just the the flip page and the, the reveal. No other media does it as well as that. Maybe Maybe some cinema does it. But I forgot how grisly it gets. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, it was a joke. It was a bah-ha-ha. Meantime, over in Justice League Europe, the spinoff, they're dealing with a group called the extremists, extremists who were a bunch of supervillains. They just got bored and decided to kill everybody on Earth. The only reason they came to our Earth is because the last person left alive who was they were taking turns torturing while one of the guys accidentally killed him. And they were about to kill him, but one of the superheroes that had been on Earth came back. They caught her, 
they found their way to Earth. First thing they did is they captured every single nuclear weapon suspended above the Earth and basically told the world, anybody tries to do anything, we're going to start dropping them, which effectively nullified Superman, nullified Green Lantern, or anybody else you could think about. Of course, a little secret that the Justice League Europe knows that these guys are going to do it anyways. So we've got to attack. They attack. They get sent to the Earth that's been totally destroyed. And that's where I'm going to leave it. Because if you want to read how Martian Manhunter defeats Destro or how the JLA Europe defeat the extremists, go buy the omnibuses or buy the back issues. They're not terribly expensive and it was just a lot of fun. It's just one of those things where, yeah, yeah, I remember Batman clocking Guy Gardner. I remember Guy Gardner being a D-horn, being a soft shoe, whatever. It ties in real good with the continuity of the day, much like Grant Morrison's did later. Matter of fact, one of the things that sticks with me is how they dealt with Animal Man. And if you remember, Animal Man was being written by Grant Morrison going through his own stuff. And, of course, how Wonder Woman was going on. As far as I know, she only appears in one issue and then never showed up again. And Sue Jingby goes, well, I guess get rid of her. Delete file. <laughs> I actually enjoyed that. <laughs> so just a lot of fun. I also pulled out and reread Hush, the amazing Jim Lee's Jeff Loeb. See yeah. Yeah, thank you. I had it all written down, and now I can't find my note. I have the absolute edition, so I got to enjoy the art. I spent time just stopping and enjoying the art. I mean, Jim Lee, of course, draws incredible women. He draws the guy's great. The whole Poison Ivy arc was amazing, especially when she tries to escape. And who's at the door? Crypto Superdog. I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. And again, you have a beginning and end by Jeff and Jim talking about how they set things up, how they set it up as MacGuffin, how, do you remember who the villain was, spoiler alert, of the entire Hush saga? Yes, it was a childhood friend of Bruce Wayne. But that wasn't who set everything in motion. You better go back and reread Hush. Okay. Because they said, yeah, we got this all set up and it was it was just it was a fun storyline. It's a shame this the Superman version wasn't as compelling because I don't think people talk about it in reverent tones the way we do. So just a couple books. It, it makes me think, yeah, I probably shouldn't sell off stuff, but as long as I got it in a collected edition, I'm in I'm gonna enjoy it. Uh Corey and I talked a bit offline. I mean, I'm gonna get the New 52 ones, because I, I found number one cheap at the con, and of course I'm going to buy number, no, number two I bought cheap, number one I'm going to buy from Gruber, and there's still the Brad, oh, I said his name earlier, Metzer, his run? Brad, Brad Metzer. Metzer, thank you. And I was reading some excerpts from his, and I'm like, I don't remember these. I had the whole run. I ended up selling it off over time. So, again, if I can get them in collected edition, I'm happy. And I'm sure one of these days I'll buy Marvel Unlimited and be even happier. But not today. Corey, what you geeking on? Two comic series 
And when they first were solicited, I was wondering, how the heck are they going to do that? The first is Superior Spider-Man. Now, those of you who may remember, the original Superior Spider-Man was a story where Doc Ock got into Peter Parker's brain and became Spider-Man, wanting to show that he could be far better at being Spider-Man than Peter Parker was, et cetera, et cetera. So the Dan Slott Spider-Man book was going to kind of fade away for a while, and they were going to be doing the Superior Spider-Man. And I was wondering, are they, what? how are they going to do it? They, It's a really good twist. It's a really good story. And it hits a lot of those notes of the original Superior Spider-Man run that I liked so much. So I was very pleasantly surprised. The second book that I got all caught up on and was surprised by, Spider-Boy. Spider-Boy is a kid's comic. The villains are slightly goofy. The stories are... It has two stories per issue. Ty Templeton does the backup story, and his stories are fantastic. And it's not a kid's book where it feels like an old uh, Harvey comic. No, it's a kid's comic in that it's a comic that I like, but you can easily give it to a kid, and they would like it a lot. The whole Spider-Boy having been erased and now is back is still a little weird for me, continuity-wise. But I like the fact that they're sort of playing with the fact that it's weird for everybody continuity wise. But I was really surprised at how much I liked both of those books. And Dan Slott just does a great Spider-Man. He knows the Spider-Man universe. And as much as I'm liking the gang war story in Amazing Spider-Man, Dan Slott's Spider-Man books are the Spider-Man books to, for me. They're, they're the best. They're the ones I like the most. And then the last thing I like, last thing on my geeking, we were talking about EC Comics earlier tonight, Joe. Oni Publishing has announced that they have licensed the EC brand and will be putting out new EC Comics. Now, they're not able to use weird science, weird fantasy tales from the crypt, et cetera, et cetera, because those names are already licensed out to everybody else. But the actual EC brand is what they're getting. They, unlike EC, they're focusing on writers because the writers line up, they have Jason Aaron and other big name writers. And the artists they mentioned were artists that I don't know. So I'm going to remind people of EC. If you are over the age of 16, the EC horror comics are pretty much standard gross out horror comics. The crime and uh, shock books were better. And then the Harvey Kurtzman books, Frontline Combat, Two-Fisted Tales and Mad, were classics. But EC did not make its bones on its writing. It made its bones on its art. It had the best lineup of artists in comics. It had the best art 
in comics. You had Wally Wood, Johnny Craig, Graham Ingalls, Jack Davis, Harvey Kurtzman, Will Elder, Frank Frazetta, Al Williamson, uh, Alex Toth. I could go on and on and on. EC had the best art in comics. And the science fiction books were, you know, twist-ending science fiction stories. The horror books were twist-ending horror stories. Nothing about them, nothing about either of those was head and shoulders above what you'd get in a pulp magazine at the time. It was the art that elevated the stories. So what I hope Oni does is, yes, they've got a, they've got a good lineup of writers. They need to go out and find a killer lineup of artists because that is what made EC great. Now, there have been attempts at bringing back EC. Paper Cuts did a Tales from the Crypt series, which was more aimed at kids than I expected, but it was okay. They were okay horror comics. Dark Horse actually partnered with Harvey Kurtzman to do a Two-Fisted Tales. I think either one or two issues came out. They were fantastic, but because it's Harvey Kurtzman, they took years to make, and eventually, because they took so long, it ended. So we will see what happens with this rebirth of EC, but I'm interested. And it's been a long time since somebody has said, we're starting a new line of books, and I didn't just immediately go, oh, God, another new line of books where they're going to dump eight books on the market that nobody cares about. This is one where it's like, okay, you're doing one at a time. Let's, I, I, I'm willing to give you a chance. Believe it or not, kids, you've listened to us blather on about funny books for an hour and a half. And the snow has stopped here. See? Just wait a minute, Minnesota. The weather will change. And as we say every week, the comic we like the least, we still like better than the comic that you like the most. Joe? What does the dentist do when they're on a roller coaster? Brace themselves! <sighs> That's almost as good as my painkiller. Corey, hit my music. Done, bitches!